Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. This story takes us to the Darul Farooq Islamic Center in Bloomington, Minnesota. Early in the morning of August 5th, 2017, a handful of Muslim congregants have gathered for morning prayers. But the quiet is suddenly disrupted by the loud smash of a window and the bang of an explosion. Luckily, no one is hurt and within 10 minutes, first responders are on the scene. They quickly discover the cause of the explosion. It's a homemade pipe bomb. Yes, homemade. And seven months later, law enforcement finally tracked down the group responsible for this bomb. The perpetrators are known as the White Rabbits. And despite being a small group, their acts of terrorism earned them a spot on the FBI's radar. The White Rabbits admit that they targeted the mosque in the hopes of scaring the Muslim community out of the country. But the troubled past of the ringleader leads defense to suggest that the group may not be responsible for their own hateful beliefs. Hmm. Well, as always on this podcast, the story of the perpetrators and the plight of the victims goes much deeper than a single incident. This is Invisible Hate. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Invisible Hate. I am Sadia Khan. And I'm Asad Bhatt. Invisible Hate, for those who are joining us for the first time, is a podcast that sheds light on the worst true crimes that are motivated by things like race, religion, or sexual orientation, and I usually perpetrate it against minorities. So Asad, how is it going? Sadia, it's going pretty well. Do you know what's happening today? No. Have you heard? On the day of this recording, later on today, I get to meet your husband in person for the first time. Oh my god! I'm going to meet him before I actually meet you in person for the first <laughs> time, which is actually pretty funny. So Savio's husband is going to be in my Portland area later this afternoon, and we've been texting. And, you know, one good thing is, Savio, he doesn't text me in the middle of the night like you do. Um, <laughs> So yeah, no, I'm very excited. We haven't officially confirmed that it's happening, but uh, hopefully we'll we'll uh, we'll hang out at a coffee shop later today. Oh my gosh, I said I really, really hope it happens. I'm nervous. What should I wear? Ah, uh, I don't know. I mean, he's a management consultant. He's probably going to be in his suit or whatever. Oh wow! Oh, so dapper. But he is pretty chill, so you can wear whatever you want. I said. So I'm going to come in with a uh, shorts and a t-shirt and flip flops, and he's going to be okay. He's not going to. He'll gonna... be absolutely okay because that's what he really wants to wear. Oh, nice. He just wants to be a, an indie podcaster, really, is what, what he wants to be. Oh, my gosh. This is exciting. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's what I'm excited about this week. And uh, so that'll be that'll be exciting. How about you? How are you doing? 
I'm doing well, Asad. So as you know, I am in Chicago, not really Chicago, Naperville, Illinois, um, visiting my family. I am going to celebrate Eid with them tomorrow, Eid That's al-Adha. Exciting. That's really exciting. And I miss New York. I don't know why every time I leave New York, I start missing it right away. I don't know if that happens to you, Asad, when you leave Portland. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, it used to happen when I left Boston as well, when I used to live there and, and would leave. But yeah, no, I totally get that. You know, there's that comfort of home of familiarity and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, New York, isn't it the, what did I say? The concrete jungle where dreams are made of? Yeah, you're right. By the way, did you end up listening to What a Creep podcast uh, that we discussed? <laughs> oh, no, I haven't. Sorry. I got consumed with another podcast called Scamanda. Have you heard of this one? Oh, my gosh. I am obsessed obsessed <laughs> i've binged listened to it in a day at least the first five episodes yeah definitely i just finished it yesterday because um, the last episode came out yesterday yeah fascinating story for those that don't know basically you know the gist of it i'm not we're not giving anything away but uh this woman who uh basically made up that she had cancer for like 10 years or whatever, five or 10 years and scammed a bunch of people in her community out of uh, a lot of money. And so it just kind of traces that story of of this woman. Uh, yeah, really well done. And uh, definitely check it out. Scamanda. By the way, it's on my list that I curated for Pocket Casts. Oh, one of my favorite podcasts, right? Very nice. Yeah, mm. awesome. Maybe maybe that's where I, maybe you're influencing me. So <laughs> I said we should make a podcast like that yeah oh that'd be fun that'd be great that would be fun right yeah i'm sure yeah maybe our listeners can suggest a story that maybe there's one that we've already done that um people want to know more about and want us to do a deep dive in so if if, yeah listeners out there if you think that we should be doing something a bit deeper let us know absolutely and before we do that let's get back to invisible hate whoa that's why we're here right yeah right so should we get started back to the story yeah Asad, before we deep dive, I just want to point out a technicality in this case that I think I should mention before we move forward. One of the perpetrators of the case was known as Michael Harry during the time the White Rabbits were active. Many early reports that you may find of this incident will therefore use that name. But we have since learned that Harry is transgender and came out as Emily Harry, shortly after being arrested years ago. So you'll hear us using Emily Harry or just the surname Harry from here on out. Great. Anyways, let's keep going with this case. On August 4th of 2017, one day before the bombing, a small group of three are preparing for a long drive. They call themselves the White Rabbit, Illinois, Patriot Freedom Fighters Militia, or the White Rabbits for short. A bit of a tongue twister. Yeah, that's pretty long, and I'm, I'm glad that you said it, not me. I know, Asad. 47-year-old Emily Harry is the group's founder and leader. It's a pretty new group in August of 2017, and there are only two other members. They are 29-year-old Michael McWater and 22-year-old Joe Morris. And yes, all three members are white. Although that isn't where the name White Rabbits 
comes from according to our sources. We learned that the white rabbit part refers to the phrase follow the white rabbit which is apparently popular on guess where I said where QAnon not surprising uh, at yeah. all I remember when yeah when I was listening to podcasts about QAnon or whatever back in the day that hearing about this kind of yeah white rabbit follow the white rabbit it's a reference to something right right apparently it's a reference to the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland yeah. and suggests that you have to hunt down the true information otherwise hidden by forces like the government and media what the actual fuck are said uh, you know i think that there are a lot of conspiracy theorists out there and you know if you're going to name something i think the white rabbit is a perfectly fine name i mean obviously i don't agree with what they're about but i, I think there are a lot of people that think that the government and media are hiding the truth from them and i think that's okay hmm anyways <laughs> Folks who use this phrase are likely buying into popular conservative conspiracies, which is what QAnon is known for. So, you know, I guess now that I know that the White Rabbits is more about popular conservative conspiracies, I maybe it's not a great name. Um, but, uh, you know, the general thought that people have distrust for government is not not new, I guess. Right. Right. And just like the majority of QAnon, as far as I know, the White Rabbits support Trump and his campaign to build a wall. The leader, Emily Harry, for example, launched her own security company and claimed she was going to help build the wall or at least donate funds to Trump. The group will also later describe their ideology as anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, anti-woman and anti-government what does anti-woman mean i said that's really confusing to me yeah anti-woman i what that would mean that they don't want maybe women to have rights in society and i, I don't know what what is it what is what is it what do you think about when you i that? have no fucking clue <laughs> makes you angry though i can tell i it makes me really angry now in terms of perpetrator's backgrounds we couldn't find much about the backgrounds of harry's companions morris and mcwater but let's dig into emily harry a little bit more her past is a bit unexpected and definitely reveals some things about her that will become important later on harry is actually a former sheriff's deputy for Ford County, Illinois. Interesting, mm. right? Yeah. She started the position around 1995 after graduating from the University of Illinois Police Training Institute. Now, sources vary, with some saying she was fired while others claim she was dissatisfied with the justice system and quit voluntarily. But either way, by 1997, Harry is no longer a police officer. So just two years she was there. She was there only for two years. Yeah, It's yeah. also around this time, I said, that she becomes politically active. According to a special report from the News Gazette based in Illinois, Harry even runs as a libertarian for various local positions. Nothing too out of the ordinary so far. But then if we fast forward a few years, Harry's story gets pretty unexpected. as these cases often get right asad yeah so during our research we found that harry's 
ex-wife Michelle was featured in a 2000 episode of Dr. Phil. This gets even more bizarre, I said. Now I we wait. have I can't Dr. Wait. Phil. You're, yeah, Dr. Phil. Yep, let's hear it. Turns out Harry kidnapped their two teenage daughters in 2005 and Michelle had no, and I mean no idea where they were. Oh, man. Dr. Phil hired a team of private investigators to search for the girls. Meanwhile, during the episode, Michelle shared a lot about who Harry was as a parent and it's not good, Asad, to say the least. Wow, okay. So, Asad, I will keep this part short, but okay. it is important that we delve into it. But basically, Michelle shares that Harry had always been difficult to live with during their marriage. Harry was verbally abusive and, according to Michelle, used to hang their children upside down as infants. Oh, my God. Wow, okay. And then in the years after leaving her job on the police force, Harry began to involve herself in various radical religious sects to pursue a, quote, purer way of life, unquote. She moved her family into a small, isolated trailer with no plumbing, running water or electricity. Because I said that's the only way you can really <laughs> manifest your spirituality. You got to get off the grid. And all of this, of course, led Harry and Michelle to eventually divorce. Good for Michelle. Yeah, and just to confirm, the, at, during this time, the, uh, Harry was uh, identifying as a man. Is that right? I think so, I said. I yeah. assume yes. Yeah. If you're interested in that side of Harry's story again, there's a whole Dr. Phil episode on it. And we <laughs> will share it on our totally. show notes. For now, all you need to know is that the two daughters were eventually found in a religious commune. And guess where, Asad? I have no clue. In the jungles of Belize. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Harry, though, was charged with only 30 months probation, no jail time. According to the News Gazette, and I don't know why she wasn't, maybe because she was a police officer at one point and maybe they had some sympathies towards her. I don't know. Yeah, what a what an interesting story. I, I never thought that we would be promoting watching an episode of Dr. Phil and I, I can't wait to see it now. Right. So all of this is the situation leading up to August 4th of 2017. Previously, Harry kidnapped her own children and now... She's leading this small right-wing militia in her town of Clarence, Illinois. She does, after all, have a history of political interest, and she once ran for various political positions. So I don't know, maybe she was looking for another opportunity to spearhead her beliefs. Sally, I don't even know how to go about starting a militia. Like, what, 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 what do you do? I don't know, Asad. I don't have <laughs> you one. you put an ad in the paper? Do you just, like... Are three friends with guns a militia all of a sudden? I, it's so fascinating to me. I, this, this whole world, I don't know anything about. Oh, my God. I anyway. We could have an episode on how to start a militia. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do that. We should do that. <laughs> we don't want to encourage people, though. We don't. We want to discourage them. But we still yeah. want to talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyways, going back to the case, Asad, let's talk about August 4th. What exactly is her group doing on that particular day? Well, Harry's group has their beliefs and they want to enforce them. So over the past few days or so, the group has been planning their first job as a so-called militia 
and their target is the Darul Farooq Islamic Center, 500 miles away. Again, I will go back and say this about a lot of perpetrators, and we've talked about this, I said they do fuck up a lot of times, which is good. But imagine this is your very first job. Why would you go 500 miles away? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't I'm not getting to the mind of a criminal, but maybe they thought it would be easier to get away with the crime if it wasn't local. And I mean, I I don't think they should have gone local, but 500 miles. That's a long drive. It is. It is a very long drive. Yeah, right. For sure. Yeah. Anyways, that's not to say that we are saying this was right. What we are trying to say is that perpetrators, most of them who commit these crimes, are basically stupid. I just feel like, you know, if you're driving 500 miles, you would think, you know, that's, you know, if you're driving whatever, 60 miles an hour, I know you drive like 90 miles an hour. So let's say, you know, that's six or seven hours in the car. At some point, you probably are thinking to yourself, this is not a good idea. Maybe I should turn around, oh, right? Oh, I like but... that. Maybe that's what they were trying to do. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't Self know. Self-accountability but... in a way, I said. Maybe they thought that at some point they will turn around. Yeah, well, I don't I know. I wish they did. I really wish they did. Anyways, their intentions for the mosque are pretty clear. Harry, who often stays with her parents, has hidden a stockpile of weaponry automatic, semi-automatic rifles, machine guns, and explosives. This is the stockpile the group draws from as they don tactical vests, assault rifles, and a 10-pound black powder pipe bomb that Harry has made. Think about it, Asit. Imagine this happening at somebody's house. Again, now think, you know, driving 500 miles with a, a bomb that you've made in the back of your truck... It's crazy to me. This is this whole thing is crazy to me. Right. Anyways, then they leave Clarence, Illinois, sometime in the late evening, driving a dark truck that Harry rented to avoid detection. From here, they drive along a route to Bloomington, Minnesota. It's dark and the roads are probably pretty sparse. Harry, as you may have guessed, has planned and mapped out a route that avoids major freeways and toll roads. It's a seven-hour drive to Darul Farooq. By the time they arrive, it's around 4.30 in the morning. Harry, who's been driving, stays in the driver's seat while Joe Morris and Michael McWhorter exit the van. They are standing near a window, which actually leads to the imam's office. From here, Morris, the youngest of the three, takes a sledgehammer and slams it against the window breaking the glass. He throws a plastic container full of diesel fuel and gasoline next. And then, remember that homemade pipe bomb? Yeah. It's Michael McWhorter who lights the fuse and throws it inside through the oh window. Yeah. I imagine they don't have much time before the bomb goes off, so they speed away from the building and head back to Illinois. Either way, there's a good chance they hear the explosion and see the start of the fire they caused. The bomb has ignited the diesel fuel and gasoline, spreading the flames faster and faster. Wow, this is crazy stuff, Sadia. Um, let's hold our thoughts and we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn more about what's going on inside the mosque.
Welcome back to Invisible Hate, Savia. So, so now the bomb has been set and it's about to go off. From what I remember in our intro, you were saying that there are people inside the mosque. Can we talk about them for a sec? Great point, Asit. Yes, there were a handful of congregants inside, but you're right. Thankfully, no one was killed or injured. They call 911 quickly and first responders arrive around 10 minutes later. By now, though, there is quite a bit of fire and smoke damage in the imam's office where the white rabbits threw the bomb. And then the building's sprinkler system went off through the building, which led to extensive water damage as well. So it's clear to the congregants and to the law enforcement that this incident is no accident. The law enforcement quickly begin their search for the person or people responsible for such a heinous attack. The problem? There aren't many clues for them to go off of, and there are a few reasons why. For one thing, at the time, Darul Farooq didn't have any security cameras outside of their building. Muhammad Umar, the executive director of the mosque, tells news source a few days after the bombing that the center simply couldn't afford the technology. So while there are a few cameras inside the center that capture the exact time the bomb went off, there is no footage outside to identify who may be responsible. The time the bomb went off, there's another factor that I think makes this case difficult, Asad. The bomb goes off early in the morning while it's mm-hmm. still dark outside. Yeah. Apparently, a few unnamed witnesses saw a truck or van throw something before the bomb and then drive away afterward. But that's pretty vague clue, right? In this moment, no one knows that the white rabbits are to blame. It's too dark to see any useful details, which I understand, like the license plate or the color of the vehicle, which means it's definitely too dark to see the physical details of the vehicle's driver. Now, these could have been crucial details to have, right? Without them, it seems like the authorities are really struggling to find a connection, at least for now. As for the white rabbits, they escaped the scene unnoticed But they didn't stop their asset. In fact, they were just getting started. Mm. According to a report from the Star Tribune, Harry assigned military titles to her members and deemed herself captain. Soon after the attack, Harry also started a White Rabbit's handbook, where she recorded her radical political opinions. So Harry is really into this, Asad. Like, Harry is full-on, you know, in that mode. Yeah, I feel like we've seen this kind of caricature of, of people before um, in movies and TV shows where they kind of, like, yeah, bring their military background or whatever, this this hierarchy into these, these sort of cult organizations. Right. And then, in November 2017, only three months later the white rabbits attack again. Their target this time was in Champaign, Illinois, at a women's clinic that performs abortions. Here, they planted a bomb, but fortunately, this one never detonated. As you can probably guess, abortions did not align with the white rabbits' politics, 
and they apparently felt like they needed to do something about it. Now, while I imagine authorities certainly knew about the bomb at the women's clinic, they didn't connect this incident to the Dar al-Farouk bombing at this time. The group once again escaped without notice. Over the next few months, they continued to carry out these acts of domestic terrorism. Because let's be honest, that's what it is, right? They robbed stores and committed a home invasion, all in the name of funding their terrorism and rebellion. Their plans during this time weren't quite as large and damaging as Darul Farooq, so maybe they were trying to lay low. Who knows, right? But it's clear this group is dangerous. There's really no telling what they would have planned for in the future with all of this weaponry. There are even various accounts of them trying to derail a train asset by destroying oh the tracks. Isn't that crazy and it's scary? Wild. Yeah, you know, it's crazy that I never really heard about this. Like, this is terrorism that's happening on our soil, you know, like in recent years. And like, yeah, maybe I heard a story about this in the news that this happened. But like, this is a big fucking deal, Sadie. Exactly. And I'm swearing kind of like you swear on this podcast <laughs> for the first time. But like, this is pretty big news that like this small group is placing bombs and wanting to cause all this damage. Um, and they want to derail a train like that is wild. You're absolutely right, Asad. When people often hear the word terrorists, they're often quick to profile Muslims as terrorists, right? Especially yeah, post 9 11. Sure. But this is a group of white folks from Illinois committing acts of terrorism against a community of Muslims and then against other people in their own community. And I will share a very important quote here, Asad. Mark Dayton, the governor of Minnesota, pointed that out as well, saying, and I quote, if the rules were reversed... It would be called a terrorist attack. And that's what it is. It's an act of terrorism. 100%. But by comparison, at the time of the bombing, there was some controversy about Trump making no statements about this event. And I'm not surprised, I said, like... I mean, you would expect the president to know about a crime like this and make a comment on it, but Trump did nothing. It's a double standard. We all know that. If one brown guy planted a bomb somewhere, are you kidding? The whole country would lash out at the entire Muslim 100%. community. And we've seen that, Asad. Yeah. So it's at least nice to hear that some people in power at the time were acknowledging America's bias in situations like this, even if our president at the time wasn't. Now, despite all random crimes throughout Illinois, law enforcement didn't seem to have a lead until December of 2017, when a confidential source tipped the police and the FBI with incriminating evidence. Now, whoever this source is, they somehow obtained photographs of bomb-making materials and semi-automatic rifles inside the home of the parents of Harry. Now, this doesn't mean investigators could arrest Harry right away. Technically, I don't think finding these materials was enough to connect her to the mosque bombing. 
But remember that Harry kidnapped her own children a decade before and had a history of somewhat erratic behavior during her marriage. She has a criminal record and investigators most likely knew about it by now. Sadly, I feel like this has happened in cases before. We got someone making an anonymous tip. That's really great. You know, someone saw that something bad was happening and, and shared it with the with the law enforcement. Yeah, exactly. So law enforcement received another tip in January 2018, soon after the first. But this time we were able to find out who provided the info. According to an article from NPR News, a man that Harry recruited to join the White Rabbits ended up, well, selling them out. In exchange for $1,000, he identified the members of the White Rabbits and told investigators that he seen the group with illegal firearms and explosive materials. He also overheard the group talking about throwing a bomb at a mosque, which of course we know to be true. But once again, the three were not yet arrested. And this is so frustrating, Asal. In February of 2018, yet another tip came in. According to a 2018 article from ABC News, this tipster was worried that there were explosives in the back of a property in Clarence owned by a man identified as J.O. Apparently, this J.O. had been buying quote-unquote weird chemicals like battery acid and nail polish remover. Worse, J.O. allegedly spoke about quote, getting the N-words and making an N-word shredder, unquote. Pretty awful and scary things to say, right, Asad? Yeah, totally. And it seemed like there was a good chance this situation was connected to the Darul Farooq bombings. And I don't know how these two are connected or how people were making those connections, but I'm glad they were able to do that. The chemicals alone were concerning since the pipe bomb in Darul Farooq was homemade. Not that I know what goes into homemade bombs, I said. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I mean, you said nail polish remover now. That makes me scared that I have bomb-making materials in the house. I'm glad I said we don't. But <laughs> battery acid, for example, yeah, definitely doesn't, doesn't sound like good news to me. Yeah, agreed. Plus, Darul Farooq is primarily the home of Somali Muslim immigrants. Now, Somalia is an East African country, so the racial slurs that Jo allegedly used were again suspicious. In response, police headed to Clarence, Illinois and closed off the town. They investigated properties, including the home of Jo, the person identified in the most recent tip. So here I said, I thought Jo was probably part of the White Rabbit group or he was somehow connected to the bombing or they would find at least another person connected to the bombing. But no, J.O. was not a white rabbit, but the white rabbits were somehow involved. As Michael McWhorter will confess later, the group planted materials on J.O.'s property. Asad, remember that by February, the FBI had the town of Clarence on their radar? Yeah, totally, yep. The White Rabbits knew they were being tracked down. And so, get this, they planted these bombs to throw off the trail. Harry was actually the one who gave the tip 
about the materials on Jo's property. Oh, wild. So the acquisitions about Jo were all a lie, Asad. Huh. That's wild. That yeah, is wild, really right? Yeah. So Harry was concocting these stories and conspiring to throw somebody else under the bus, under the basically. Bus, yeah, I mean, I get it. Yeah, totally. But the investigators didn't know this for sure at the time. So they were really following that particular lead. Now, on the other hand, the FBI wanted to talk to the three white rabbits identified in the anonymous tip previously. But the three suspects, McWhorter, Harry and Morris, disappeared from their homes around this time. So once again, there's no arrest. Days later, on March 4th of 2018, the White Rabbits posted a video on YouTube under the channel name Illinois Patriots. It was Harry, McWhorter, Morris and another recruit who did not participate in the bombing all four wear masks that cover everything but their eyes. In the video, you can hear how they are upset with the way that law enforcement has handled the town of Clarence in the aftermath of the bomb. On the 19th of February, the FBI and local authorities showed up. They sealed off the north end of town. They searched a lot of properties with no consent, no warrant, no nothing. And they claimed it was because of some kind of bomb scare. And uh, we're asking for a malicious support to come and help us. You know, all of our liberties are on the line. If they can come into a town like ours and just... And I'm thinking, I said, this is so ironic. What the fuck are they trying to do here? They don't want to be public. They don't want to be caught. And yet they make a YouTube video fascinating. Right. And what's even more ironic is that they are upset with their liberties being taken away, (laughs) even though they are literal terrorists actively trying to take away other people's rights and their lives. Yeah, it's wild. It just shows how illogical these groups often are. Totally. Anyways, the rest of America saw this video too as clips circulated on the news. By this time, the media, the FBI and the local police were fairly certain of the identities in the video and their connection to the bombings. And sure enough, after six more days of investigations and questioning, law enforcement finally, finally interviewed Michael McWhorter on March 10th of 2018. And guess what? He confessed everything, I said, everything. Oh, wow, that's great. So by March 13th of 2018, the White Rabbits were arrested for illegal possession of machine guns and conspiracy to interfere with commerce through threats and violence. Most likely, this referred to their armed robberies throughout Illinois and the guns found in their homes. And though they were not yet charged for Dal al-Farouk, they were the primary suspects. And with time, yes, don't worry, they were officially connected to Darul Farooq and additionally charged with federal civil rights violations. In this case, it was officially ruled a hate crime. With a long list of both state and federal charges, the White Rabbits were officially sentenced in 2022. Harry was sentenced to 53 years in prison 
Michael McWhorter, who lit and threw the pipe bomb, was given about 16, and Joe Morris, who initially broke the window and threw in a container of gasoline, received 14 years. Hmm. The other two white rabbits who joined later were also charged and sentenced for their roles in other conspiracies and crimes. They received much lighter sentences of about four to five years. I said this is an extremely important point because Harry got 53 years and I think it's because intent matters, right? So he is the group leader. He is the one who's basically organizing everything. It's his ideology and hence he gets the most years. Yeah, that that really surprised me. It was more than three times the next one of McWhorther. And so I'm surprised that that he got such a longer sentence compared to the other two main ones that were there. I would have expected the other two to have longer sentences, I guess, is what I what my mind goes to. This is very interesting, Asad. Harry gets 53 years in prison. And I can understand why, because Harry was the ringleader and had convinced others to join his far-right militia. And to be fair, of the three white rabbits who bombed Tarul Farooq, Morris and McWhorter were much more cooperative in the litigation process as well, and maybe that's why their sentences were not as bad as Harry's. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I think that it's for me, all three of them are terrorists. And, you know, you, you throw the book at terrorists and that we've seen that happen to people in our community. Right. For me, just surprising that the second who didn't have longer sentences, I would have expected them to get a lot more for throwing a pipe bomb, you know, into a religious facility. You're right. But I really want our listeners to think about how people perceive leaders versus followers. Right. So people who are followers who are instructed to do something so heinous and so terrible, are they or should they be prosecuted the same way as leaders whose vision they are following? I, I would say in this case, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But I recognize that that's a, that's a big difference for sure. So, Sadia, they're in jail now. So what has happened to the White Rabbits since then? I said, according to a 2022 CBS News article, McWhorter and Morris expressed remorse for their role in the bombing, with McWhorter apparently insisting if he could go back in time and take it all back, he would. How would he go back in time and take it all back? That's just BS. And while some members of the Muslim community requested maximum sentences for all white rabbits, others expressed their forgiveness, including Muhammad Umar, the mosque's imam. As for the leader, Emily Harry, she came out as trans, as we mentioned in the beginning, in 2021 and officially changed her name after being convicted. But here's where that gets problematic in this case, Asad. Her attorney... Shannon Elkins argued that Harry's gender dysphoria played an indirect role in her violent actions. Interesting. Elkins told the court that 
Harry, quote, strongly desired making a full transition but knew she would be ostracized from everyone and everything she knew, end quote. Therefore, Elton goes on to claim that Harry's struggles with dysphoria combined with online misinformation and Islamophobia led Harry to attack Darul Farooq. I honestly cannot make this comparison. I don't know how the attorney is doing that. And honestly, Asad, to me, this can be dangerous to start associating gender dysphoria with violence. Making those associations can be extremely, extremely harmful for different minority groups, including the transgender community. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on this. And yeah, it's I, I understand where his lawyers and legal team would, would make that argument, but it's just such a, uh, is the right word, specious argument, just like there's so many holes in it, and it just doesn't make any, it, to me, it's not a strong argument in any way, shape or form. You're absolutely right. And prosecutors did not buy it. Prosecutors said, basically, that gender dysphoria was no excuse. It's a bit unexpected, right? I mean, on the one hand, Harry is a trans woman and yet described herself as pro-Trump and anti-woman. It really doesn't sit well with me, Asad. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that, yeah. You know, what's unfortunate, Asad, is that time and again in this country, we see how people's politics often goes against their own greater good. And this is an example of that. So as far as Harry is concerned, I am not sure if she ever expressed regret for her actions. In an MPR article from 2021, Harry allegedly called the victim statements from the bombing heartbreaking and said, and I quote, I want to wish them God's richest blessings in Jesus Christ, end quote. Not to offend anybody, I really don't know what this means. Seems like a little bit of shade that she's throwing, you know, for sure. Okay, maybe, but I didn't get the shade, so I don't know. <laughs> Harry has since struggled in prison as a trans woman, according to an article from the Ford Country Chronicle. She was first housed in a high-security all-male prison where inmates and guards yelled at her, sexually harassed her, and constantly made inappropriate comments. She was also denied access to her hormone treatments, the most recent news on her situation suggests that she has since been moved to a male and female prison after her appeal to the courts. I I think that's great, Sadia. I think that she, you know, she obviously needs to get the support that she needs to figure out what's going on with her, and hopefully that, um, you know, and not be yelled at and harassed by the guards and and inmates in in the other jail. So I'm, I'm I, I think this is great. You're right, Asad. In terms of the intent behind the White Rabbit's hate crime, which has already been established, it was a hate crime, the group will later claim that they were trying to scare the Muslim community out of the country, not kill or harm anyone. Really? I mean, throwing a bomb at them. And to yeah. claim that they didn't mean to harm or kill kill them is such a BS. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the, there are a lot of other ways that you could scare people that doesn't involve 
a pipe bomb. Um, not that I want anybody to scare anybody, but right. yeah, it's just the ridiculous notion to think that they weren't out to kill or harm anybody. Just absolutely ridiculous. And as I imagine at the time, they did not know whether or not there were people or congregants inside Darul Farooq, right? At the time yeah, of bombing. for sure. Totally. How would they ensure that nobody died or right. was hit? Yeah, I agreed. I agreed. And, you know, I know people that spend the nights in mosques and, and whatnot, and moms will get there at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning if there's early morning prayers that are happening at 5 or 6 o'clock. So, yeah, it's just, it's 100%. They, it's ridiculous for them to claim that they they were not there to kill or harm anybody. Exactly. And I said I want to talk a little bit about Dar al-Farooq as well. Luckily, the institute was able to heal after the attack. The center started a GoFundMe page to help them repair the damage. According to their GoFundMe site, the center raised 99000 which actually put them above their goal of $95,000. Awesome. I'm so glad they were able to do that. And even though this is great news, we can't forget that this is no isolated incident, right, Asad? In an interview with local news source KARE11, the imam of the mosque, Muhammad Umar, points out that the bombing happened alongside daily microaggressions. Yeah. So in order to prevent violent attacks and potential deaths for targeted communities, we really have to address the parts of our society that fuel these hateful thoughts. And I'm talking to our listeners right now. Just sit with this thought and think about how you could be microaggressing somebody, how you could be intimidating somebody, consciously or subconsciously. Let's check ourselves. Let's hold ourselves accountable. It's not enough to arrest someone after the damage is already done. How can we as a society take preventative action and stop this from happening in the first place. And I said, I am really freaked out. Next year is the election year. And I worry that minorities will be attacked. They will be dehumanized. They will be vilified. And I hope, I really hope that this time all of us are ready to not accept this hateful rhetoric and to fight back. I think you said it perfectly right, for sure. Also, I want to point out that even though many congregants left the mosque in fear of Islamophobia, the center is still the largest mosque in Minnesota. At the very least, the community has not fizzled out and allowed this event to hamper their faith, not just in their community, but in America. It's also important to remember it's not just a mosque. This is a community center and a charter school. So you can imagine the hundreds of people, young and old, that this center sees daily. It's a place for comfort and communion. So more than anything, let's hope that the members are still able to achieve that despite the anxieties that they may still have due to the incident. As always, thank you all for tuning in to Invisible Hate. If you want to learn more, check out links in the show notes about the case. 
please email us your thoughts on this story or any other story that you think we should cover. You can reach us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. You can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. Give us a review. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Refillion Media and Immigrantly. We would like to thank our team, which includes Mikhail Estrada, Isabel Havens, Lindsay Gamble, Paroma Chakravarsi, and Emmanuel Monahan. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson. We'll be back next week with another hate crime for us to analyze. Until next time, I'm Sadia Khan. And I'm Asad Bhatt.